I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello there, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Joe Holbert, and I'm the host today, and I'm joined by our resident Raptors fan, Jordan Self. Hello, Joe. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty good. My internet's been playing up, so I haven't been able to watch the games live, but, you know... You just—that's the beauty of League Pass. You just watch it the next day. Yeah, that—that's the pains of a UK fan, isn't it? Having to figure out what you're doing at two o'clock in the morning, if not catch up the next day. <laughs> it is, but the, obviously we're going to talk about last night's games because you've probably already heard the podcast with Matt and Mike. If you haven't, go back and listen to it. So we're going to start. I think we'll start with your Raptors because you know we're going chronological order. So. I just before we go actually into the depths of the game, I want to know what are your thoughts. I mean, obviously they're not going to be good, but I just want to know how you felt being being blown you know out like that. I I feel like I'm I'm sitting here in May 2016 watching the same old highlights of the the same old games of last year. It's it's it's, it's literally like a identical play back to last year, those first two games of uh, the conference finals and. The, the Raptors, I mean, like I said, we're going to go into details of the game, but the, the thing that really stands out to me at the moment is that th- three minutes into that game one, uh, Kyrie Irving throwing an off-the-backboard alley-oop to LeBron James, th- that just kind of sums up the way the Raptors uh, are seen by the Cavaliers. And I think they basically just see them like no real threat. It's kind of like, I think I saw someone out there tweet something like, the Cavaliers see the Raptors like a substitute teacher, uh, substitute teacher. It's someone that they just, they turn up, they've got to play them, but they, they don't see them remotely as a threat. And I think that's just evident from the way they're playing. The, the Raptors look scared. The Cavaliers look really comfortable. And you, you, I can't really see it being much of a fight at the moment. I, I, I don't know what you think about it, but it's just, it seems from, from my point of view as a Raptors fan, it's kind of humiliating at the moment for the Raptors. It's, they, they just don't seem to have anywhere near being on that same kind of tier of the Cavaliers at the moment. Well, no, I bought into you this year because that's probably why you're uh, doing so badly, by the way, because I've decided to buy in. But Yeah, yeah, exactly. Commentator's curse. <laughs> I, I do have that effect. But the thing I liked is you have guys who can defend multiple positions, but it doesn't seem to be working. Um, and I Actually, my theory is that the bigger problem is actually at the other end because you don't score enough points. You have too many bad possessions, in my opinion, too many mid-range jumpers, too many contested shots. Patrick Patterson couldn't hit a barn door at the moment. You know, yeah. it's, it's not good. You're not hitting open shots. And your offense is all about, the Raptors' offense is quite simple. It's all about grinding out in the half court. My problem with it is DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are not as good as LeBron James. So yeah. for me, the only way you can grind out in the half court is if you've got the best players on the court. And yeah. you, you probably have that against Milwaukee. You don't have it against Cleveland, and it's just been a problem. It's you know, Demar Derozan. Obviously, he had. I don't think he scored his first field goal until about halfway through the third quarter. No, I mean after that last series when he went uh, 0 for nine against the Milwaukee Bucks in Game Three. After that game, he said that will never happen again. And sitting there watching the game last night, I think he was into that third quarter. He was 0 for nine, and I'm thinking. This this is the same thing all over again, and yeah, like you said, the their offense is built around Demar Derozan creating off the dribble isolations, and what the Cavaliers have done has worked so far. I mean, they are trapping really hard. They're doubling up high. 
They're not letting him have anywhere to dribble that ball. They're forcing him to give up the pass. And like you said, if your Patrick Pattersons aren't knocking down shots uh, and some of your kind of supplementary pieces aren't filling in the way they should, Damari Carroll, I think, was 0 for 6 again. He just can't hit anything. Patrick Patterson can't hit anything. I said at the outset of the playoffs that the two big X factors were, do you have Patrick Patterson and Damari Carroll knocking down their open shots? Because if they're not, that really clogs the lane for DeMar DeRozan. And he's looking to try to get to the rim. And at the moment, LeBron, if he's got Damari Carroll or Patrick Patterson out on the wing, he's pretty much leaving them and coming to trap. So it's forcing DeRozan to pass. And the bigger concern for me is that if you are missing shots, but you average 27 points in a game, you still have to take more than 11 shots. He's letting the Cavaliers dictate the Raptors offense by not taking those shots. He still needs to take those shots, even if they're not falling. He's just got to keep taking them until they start to go down because without him taking up those shots, the Raptors don't have the players, the offensive talent to kind of create their own shots the same way he does. No, you're right. And I think I think Norman Powell, he's, obviously Dwayne Casey's brought him into the starting lineup. I think a lot of that is because of those traps. You know, so there's a Powell can create as well off the dribble, but the I'm a, the most concerning thing for me about this team is I'm looking down your bench now and Jonas was good yesterday, although a lot of the points came when it didn't matter. But Tucker, DeLon Wright and Damari Carroll combined for over seven from downtown. Yeah. Fred Van Vliet only got two minutes. I like him. I think he should be playing potentially a couple more minutes than that. There's just not enough offense on this team. You've built the team around defending LeBron James, which is good, but it doesn't matter if you can't score the ball at the other end. Yeah, exactly. And you have, you have two high usage guards, like we've said, and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Lowry can hit the three-point shot, but they're, they're two guards that like to drive to the rim. And at the moment, if no one else is hitting shots from outside, the, the Cavaliers are having the easiest time in the world defensively, and that's their biggest weakness. But I think the Raptors last night were five for 17 from deep. Meanwhile, you have the Cavs 18 for 33. And like you said, they could kind of get away with some of these faux pas that they're having now in the first round against the Bucks because the Bucks aren't a great offensive team themselves. But you take one of the best offensive teams in the league in the Cleveland Cavaliers and then you put the Raptors offense stumbling like they are at the moment and they just can't keep up. And it's not looked competitive at any point in this series. Both games, the Cavaliers got to early leads. Uh, again, hitting that three really early on makes it really difficult for the Raptors to come back into that game, especially uh, at the Quicken Loans Arena. I think it might be a different story at the ACC. I could see them trying to maybe stay in the game, but I mean, even if they did manage to pull off a miracle couple of wins at home like they did last season, I can't see them taking it any further. They, they, at the moment, they haven't won in Cleveland now for their last uh, five games in the postseason. I don't see that changing in this postseason by the looks of it. So again, you, you really wonder are the Raptors just biding their time uh, until an early exit? The thing that another thing is Patrick Patterson, he's a free agent this summer as well. Yeah. He's playing himself out of a lot of money because he's never going to go to a team where he's going to be the main option because that's not what he is. He's a, he's a guy who can defend the four and the five and he's supposed to be able to knock down corner threes. He's not doing it. Yeah. So that's going to put teams off, I think. And also, Definitely. I'm looking at Ibaka as well. I think Ibaka's been quite good, but my problem with it is, so yesterday, Serge Ibaka took the most shots for you. That's a yeah. problem. Like Ibaka, yeah. he's, don't get me wrong, he's not useless offensively, because otherwise you wouldn't have signed him. But yeah. he's not like an offensive focal point. He's 
he's not a stretch four in the way that someone like Mirza Teletovic is, where you stick Teletovic on the outside and you just let him shoot shoot on sight. Ibaka's not that kind of player. Ibaka should be the third or fourth option. At the moment, he's having to evolve into the second option, which yeah. is a big problem going forward. Exactly. And I th- think, we're, we're, I'm sure we'll come on to it later, but you look at someone like James Harden had a tough night last night, but he still took 17 shots. He may have not nailed many, but I would rather your superstar player, your your all-star backcourt player, he's still got to take those shots. If DeMar DeRozan is averaging, I think, close to 20 shots per game in the regular season, I want to see him still take that in the postseason because that's the only way the Raptors can get any kind of consistency into their offense. And if he just starts to kind of freeze up and shies away from the game, uh, the Raptors just aren't the same team that we know. And I think it's gone a little bit underrated because of how bad the Raptors have been these first two games. But Kyle Lowry is starting to look a bit more like himself. But it still doesn't really matter if his backcourt partner in DeMar DeRozan is looking like a shell of his regular season performance. So, uh, yeah, a lot a lot of worries there. And I'm still a little bit concerned about Lowry's ankle. Um, he, he went out of the game in the third quarter, I think it was, and returned later in the game. But again, going forward, you need absolutely everything from this Raptors team to even have a chance to take any, either of these next two games. And if Lowry's starting to ache a little bit, that that's just going to make their life more difficult. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought Lowry's played quite well uh, the last couple of games, but obviously you're right, it does not matter if no one else steps up. But I want to talk to you about the Raptors' offense specifically. So I know the Cavs sweat the Pacers, but I thought the Pacers made the, really tested them. Yeah. yeah, they tested that deal. They put up a lot of points. In fact, I saw a stat the other day. It was the closest sweep of all time. I think yeah. the point differential was the lowest. So this Raptors offense, for me, isn't. there's not enough action. It's, it's a lot of standing around doing nothing. Whereas if you look back at those Pacers games, they always had people cutting, cutting in behind. They always had people coming off screens. Do you put any blame on Dwayne Casey for this offense being too static? Definitely. I think, as you said, they need to have a game plan. Now it's been these two games. DeRozan's been trapped hard. They need to have a game plan to counteract that. And again, it comes from if DeRozan's getting trapped up high and he's uh, uh, got the ball and he ha- he's forced to pick up the ball and he's got two men on him, he makes that escape pass, gets to Serge Ibaka. And a perfect example was last night. Serge Ibaka catches that ball on the elbow. And then there's absolutely no movement. Just like you said, there's no one making any cuts to try and get the basket, uh, get towards the basket. There's no one making any off-ball movement. Everyone's just staying totally still to force essentially Serge Ibaka to go into an isolation play. And that's just not going to work against any team in the playoffs. Again, once you get down to that tough end of the season, no one's going to give up buckets off those kind of isolation moves with a player like Serge Ibaka. So to me, Dwayne Casey's got a lot to answer for because he's getting outcoached once again in the playoffs by just not having a, a plan to counteract uh, the opposition's defensive plan. And again, the Raptors have good offensive players, but if they haven't got any game plan, any kind of plan plan B, then you've got to look at Dwayne Casey and ask, what's he really doing on the bench there? Because at the moment, it looks like he's really just uh, rolling out the same kind of game plan every single game, and it's just not working at the moment. And to be honest, it's not going to cut it if you just make a few changes in the lineup because it doesn't look like he has a coherent plan of what he actually wants to do with that. Because again, Valentunas, he, he may have got some points off the bench, but he gave as much up on the defensive end. And in my mind, you can't have Valentunas on the floor at the same time as Channing Fry because he is the Raptor killer now. He's every single time Channing Fry steps on the floor against the Raptors, uh, he looks like a uh, Ray Allen reincarnated into a, a centre position. Uh, so it's... Yeah, I'm just 
not impressed at all with Dwayne Casey's game plan so far. It'd be interesting to see what he does game three. I think it has to go beyond just lineup changes and he's got to fundamentally change that offensive approach and try to exploit some of the Cavaliers' weaknesses. Yeah, that's the thing. I was chatting to a Raptors fan about the offense and he was saying, well, I think you were top five in offensive efficiency after you got a backer, but it's the regular season. No one cares. Yeah, you know, exactly. no, Like literally, I people do care, but because you're having a good efficiency in the um, in the regular season doesn't mean it's going to carry over because teams try harder in the postseason. There's more sort of individual... You know, teams don't make individual adjustments for one game in the regular season, but they'll be looking at the Raptors' offense and going, if we shut down DeRozan, that's it. Dwayne Casey has no other plan. So I think yeah. it's... Unless you come back, which I'm still banking you might just because I bought into you, but I think he's got to go because it's a... Basketball's about taking teams to the next level. Dwayne Casey's done a good job over the last four years, but he's proven time and time again in the postseason that he can't match up against the best tacticians. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think Dwayne Casey's done a great job with this Raptors team to get the best out of them, but he's a player's coach. He's a guy that he galvanizes the team, he motivates them. When it comes to the X's and O's, he's been proven time and time again that he just isn't at that same level as a lot of the top NBA coaches. So, you look at a team with Dwayne Casey at the helm and think there is a ceiling to what they can achieve. And you hope that, again, the raw talent can push them through it. But he's really got a lot to answer for. And it'd be interesting because the Raptors have really been grooming Jerry Stackhouse into an NBA head coach role. And he's got a lot of uh, interest from other teams around the league now, uh, leading the Raptors 905 the, the D-League team to a championship in just their second year of existence and his first year as a head coach there. So he's really there waiting in the helm to take this Raptors team over if the management aren't happy with what Dwayne Casey's doing. So I'd be really interested to see how that plays out. If the Raptors get swept here uh, and it continues in the same fashion that's going at the moment, there could be a lot of changes in the Raptors' front office as well as on the court. Yeah, you're definitely right. I, I could see Stackhouse doing that. It happens in the NFL a lot where a really good coordinator gets you know tipped for a big job and because the franchise don't want to lose him they sack the head coach yeah and get the get the coordinator in so i could potentially see that happening but we'll have to see but i think there's a lot of revisionism with Kay. You know, people are like he's a he's not a bad coach he's just he's a limited coach and sadly yeah. his flaws get exposed in 2017 10 years ago they probably wouldn't have been exposed because basketball was about mid-range jumpers getting to the free throw line and yeah you know there weren't many three-pointers or anything like that but Obviously, this is a series to watch still. Hopefully, it gets better for you in game three and four. We're going to move to the other conference now with our second game. And after game one, where the Rockets absolutely destroyed the Spurs, it was, I think they were up by like 40 at halftime or something ridiculous. Yeah. It was the biggest deficit Greg Popovich has ever had in the playoffs. Um, they were better yesterday. He, Aldridge actually did something. But we're gonna before we get into the game, Tony Parker, if you guys didn't know, he's picked up an injury, been confirmed that he's probably done for the season unless they get to the deep finals, which probably isn't going to happen, no disrespect to Spurs. But that's huge, isn't it? I mean, what are the ramifications of Parker's injury for you? I think it's massive. Again, people tend to look at Tony Parker now as someone who's a little bit past his prime, but he's still the guy that really runs that offense. And Kawhi Leonard is obviously the guy they go to when they need buckets. And he's the guy that's starting to be able to create a little bit. But Tony Parker is still the guy that really runs that offense. And 
it's really putting the pressure now on Patty Mills and he's done it in the past. Parker's missed a lot of time over these last couple of years and Patty Mills has stepped in and done a great job. But this is going to be a tough series for them and it's going to be a tough road to the finals if they want to move on. So Patty Mills is your starting point guard. You're really putting a lot on him there and I imagine defensively they're going to really try and push him. He's not the biggest guy. I think you could see James Harden try to get a lot of switches onto him and it's going to be interesting to see can Patty Mills prove that he is a bit more than a kind of electric scorer off the bench and can he really run that offense in the same way Parker did but it's, it's sad to see for Parker as well because he's only got uh, so many years left and it's always uh, a shame when you see a player reaching the, towards the end of a really successful career start to struggle with injuries and that's a really tough one to to see there because they were really I thought looked really good that that first half of yesterday's game obviously when Parker went out they still managed to to really out score the Rockets down the stretch so there's some promising signs there but it will be interesting to see going forward if they can survive without him yeah it's obviously a big one the thing about him is that he always elevates his game in the postseason yeah you know, I remember I remember against the Heat in the finals few years ago he destroyed them yeah, yeah just completely killed uh, Mario Chalmers so <laughs> Patty Mills are coming in free agency has been there's a topic that comes up on this pod a lot but Patrick Mills is a free agent so you know, if he plays well, he could earn himself a nice wad of cash this summer, which yeah. is, it's always a motivation for players. They can tell me it's not, but if if more money is potentially on the table, people are going to elevate their game. But the Spurs play well. One thing I know, whenever I watch Leonard, he never misses. Yeah, I, He literally, whenever I see him going from three, I'm just like, that's in. He doesn't seem to miss 13 for 16 with good defenders on him. Trevor Rees is a good defender. Patrick yeah. Beverly's a good defender. Yeah, I mean, it's like like, like David Fisdale said, he, he seems like a robot at times. Again, he's routinely putting up stat lines like like he did last night, 34 points, uh, seven rebounds, eight assists. And that that's encouraging to see, again, Leonard really moving the ball, creating a little bit more for others. It's something we haven't seen from him as much in the past. Probably the one limitation that you'd pick out of a, a great all-around uh, game for Kawhi Leonard is usually the assist category and he's really stepped that up a little bit these last few games. So uh, I think that's huge. And again, I don't quite know what the general reaction was, but I think after game one, that blowout, a lot of people overreacting a little bit, thinking, oh my God, the Spurs, they're, they're what we kind of thought that maybe they are just Kawhi Leonard and a bunch of scrubs. But I still, I've really kind of held on to the idea of my my pre-postseason prediction, which was that if there's anyone who can kind of figure out how to play against this Rockets high-powered offense, Greg Popovich is the guy. And I think that first game was a real kind of lesson for the Spurs. And I think, again, they've talked about it themselves that they've really tried to learn a lot from that game, tried to take away what they can. And you see from game one to game two, they cut the fast break points for the Rockets down from 27 points to 13 points, and they gave up half as many threes. And I think if you can take away the three-pointers for uh, the Rockets, you can take away the easy fast break buckets and you're forcing James Harden to create uh, in the half court set. Again, it's just going to make the life a little bit more difficult for the Rockets. Try and take them out of their game, play to the Spurs style. And I thought Greg Popovich did a great job executing down the stretch, particularly uh, to really just pull away from the Rockets. And it'll be interesting to see if they can continue that game plan and defensively Moving, I think game one. I don't know if you you heard the phrase "coisolation." They were talking about where you're trying to uh, get Kawhi Leonard away on D and try to pin him away from your star players. And then last night, Kawhi matching up on Harden as much as possible, and that that really took James Harden out of his rhythm. 
Yeah, did. He's probably the best defender in the league now because it's probably not Tony Allen anymore. But I agree with you that game one was a lesson because I think the Spurs just kind of thought, we're the Spurs, we're the best defence in the league, we'll just stop these. But my Dan Tony, to, to his credit, Greg Popovich is... um. He speaks very well of Mike D'Antoni. I think Mike D'Antoni will make the right adjustments for game three and four. Yeah, I think people see Mike D'Antoni as this limited coach. He's one of the better coaches in the league. Yeah. But the player for me that's incorrect, because when, when the Rockets picked up Nene, I was like, he's not going to be on the roster come, come <laughs> the postseason. Because he's been incredible. Because he, he looked done in Washington. Uh, he was fun back in Denver back in the day. But he's been, he's not just been a guy who can score points. He's been a really good rim protector as well for them. And I think I think he's actually quite big in this series because Clint Capella's a young guy. I think they need to get him rest. He was overworked a lot in the in the regular season. But this Rockets bench in credit in their credit is probably the best bench in this postseason. Yeah. And I, I think that's a big thing. If you look, I think um up until last night's game in the postseason so far, Lou Williams and Eric Gordon, when they share the court together, I think there's something like plus 90, which is crazy. So their plus minus plus 90 uh, for those two players as a combination is incredible. And I think that just goes to say for how much the Rockets have done well, Daryl Morey picking up Lou Williams at the deadline for a first round pick and Corey Brewer. That That's a really great pickup. And it's a lot of people question whether or not that would make an impact in the playoffs, but having a guy like Lou Will on the bench who can pick up points for you is a huge thing, and the Rockets bench does look really strong there. It does, and if you compare it to the Spurs, but I'm not saying the Spurs bench is weak, but the problem with it is he's there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, I think the stat was that Greg Popovich's most used lineup was the most used lineup across all the teams with the least minutes. So the Spurs obviously can be creative. Jonathan Simmons played 20 minutes yesterday. Uh, the week before, I think I think it was DeJounte Murray, who's obviously going to get more minutes now. Yeah. But but going back to Mills quickly, he's obviously he's the indirect leader of that bench. Do you think him being thrust into the starting lineup could kind of change, sort of change the way the series flows? Because they're probably not as used to Murray as they are of other guys. Obviously, also Ginobili might get a bigger role. I mean, what yeah. impact do you think Mills going into the starting lineup, presumably, will have on the bench? I think, as you said there, Ginobili is going to take a much bigger role this for the rest of the series. Again, he's a guy who's proven that he can run an offense, and I think that he'll look to play a bit more of that point guard role off the bench and try to really create for others. And then that means... Uh, by proxy you're going to be looking for Jonathan Simmons to really be doing a lot more and again he did well last night 14 points in 20 minutes is the exact kind of production you need from him but he's got to step up the consistency if Ginobili's going to take more of a kind of setting up role on the offense and you've not got Patty Mills scoring off the bench you're going to be looking for Jonathan Simmons to be a big scorer every single night out so it'd be interesting to see how he fares because I think he's the guy who's now going to have the bigger weight on his shoulders Manu Ginobili's used to picking up that extra uh, extra kind of pressure pressure and even though he's been struggling as of late and he's obviously a bit older now I think he'll do fine kind of stepping into that role but Jonathan Simmons would be the guy I'd be looking to to see how he can handle that extra load yeah but one thing I noticed with him he's a ridiculously good defender Jonathan Simmons yeah if you watch him they try and screen him and he just like he just seems to walk through them yeah and he's and that's what the Spurs are all about and that's what they've got to do that's what that was the main difference I noticed yesterday was that in the first game they were getting done by screens Ryan Anderson was open all the time yeah. yesterday Simmons played more minutes and he was consistently getting out to the perimeter and 
And I think that's big. I think a hundred percent. I fully agree with that because to me, the thing that I I really really noticed in that first game was that the Spurs again they're one of the better inside teams, uh, a, a great defensive team, but they've relied on having a couple of big men uh, on the floor at the same time, and you can't have Paul Gasol, David Lee, Lamarcus Aldridge out there chasing Ryan Anderson around screens uh, like five feet outside the three point arc. They just haven't got the foot speed, so. Jonathan Simmons now, he adds an extra dynamic and it's going to be huge for them if they can get him to to play out defensively, like you said, and that they can put him out on Brian Anderson, chase him around screens. He's got the foot speed to to kind of keep him subdued. And Ryan Anderson had a great game last night, but he only took five three-pointers. And that, that that's what you want to do again, even if he's making them, try and restrict the amount of looks that he can get out there. Well, that's why they say a lot of people talk about defending and they look at things like defensive field goal, but good good defense causes passes. And exactly. I think that's what they were doing yesterday. Anson was 4 for 5, but as you said, they're an analytics-based teams and Daryl Murray's going to be thinking if he's only getting five three-point shots a game, even yeah. if he knocks down all five of them, they're probably not going to win many games with that. So the Spurs' defense was a lot better. But going forward into game three, Popovich changed his lineup. He took out... David Lee, which is not surprising. I don't know why <laughs> he's decision. there anyway. Yeah, easy decision. They put Paul on. I assume, do you think he'll stick with that or do you think he's going to throw something else at us like he always seems to? I, again, the, the one wrinkle that I would look out for is the Jonathan Simmons effect because I, I, I think as the, the series, goes, series goes on, I think his value will become even more prominent. And it'd be interesting to see if they look to go small and put Jonathan Simmons out there uh, to start start with the rest of the lineup. And again, I, I don't quite know how that would work out, but that's something that if I was to look for one change, I think maybe, again, Pau Gasol, even uh, again, slightly slow-footed there, could they try and fit uh, Jonathan Simmons into that starting lineup? So uh, I think that, that'd be interesting. But other than that, I think that they would look at that last game as a big success and, Again, they slowed down the pace, which is what they need to do. Uh, really kind of make it more their kind of play style. Don't let the Rockets dictate the flow of the game. Um, the one wrinkle in that, again, is James Harden. He's not going to shoot three for 17 in the next game. So are you ready to counteract that with the Rockets home crowd there uh, being really excited for the game? Again, they haven't got uh, this kind of momentum and this kind of hype around the team uh, for a long time now, really. So... I think that that'll be a big issue for them is once James Harden starts hitting again, how do you, how do you react to that? What do you counter punches do you throw? Yeah, certainly the, for me, this is the best series of the four. Wizard yeah. Selks is good as well, but with this one, I don't know, there's just kind of an extra edge to it. I, I think it's two very different teams. And yeah. when that happens, that, that usually makes a good series. Um, have you got anything else you want to say on this series? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think again, it's, It'll be interesting to see how we go from here. If if the Rockets can't get their threes up how they have in the regular season, I think that will play into the Spurs' hands. And uh, again, I'm interested to see the Rockets in the past have had a bit of a history of not having that same mental toughness. They're a different team this year, but if the Spurs can pick up one on the road, game three, I think you might see the Rockets' team start to panic a little bit. So again, depends on how Tony Parker's injury plays in, but uh, I, I would be looking for the Spurs to try and take take a a game away from the Rockets at least uh, again get the split away from home come back home and try and finish it off in in six games yeah I'm I'm with you I think this is this is going to be an interesting series so is that your prediction Rockets in six yeah I mean uh, so no Spurs in, in six I think it's a uh, I, I I think again I think Popovich is starting to figure it out and even with that Tony Parker injury I, I still expect the Spurs to 
to take this series but uh, it could go either way we've seen two games so far that totally contrasting hard to predict uh, these next games without really knowing what's going on behind the scenes but I, I do think that the Spurs, I still would have my money on Greg Popovich. I don't think Mike D'Antoni, if I'm right, I think they've played met four times in the playoffs before and Greg Popovich has taken every taken it every time. And D'Antoni's had some great teams over the year, but he's never quite been able to get past Greg Popovich. So history's on his side. I'm still going with Greg Popovich. Yeah, I've got, I think I had Rockets in, in fact, I might have had Rockets in five. I've, okay. I've, I think I'm just about going to stick with it. But you're right, I could go over it. If any team's stopping uh, Mike D'Antoni, it's Popovich. He, d- he did it twice, I think, with the Suns. Although I think the third series win was when D'Antoni was basically on life support at the Lakers. Yeah. yeah. So, but <laughs> yeah. we'll end the podcast there. There's no point rambling on. So if you've yeah. got any questions, if you have any questions, just tweet the account because we're doing two shows a week. So the chances are we will answer it on one of the podcasts um yeah the playoffs we should be stepping up draft coverage soon i think that's our next step so you may see some draft profiles on the site soon yeah hopefully we'll we'll get a few pods up as well with the with the draft profiles talking about some of the upcoming prospects as well yeah we'll we'll 100 percent do a mock draft podcast as well uh looking forward to it Yes, that was we did that a couple of years ago. It's fun, but it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Jordan. Great, cheers, guys. LeBron, you told me after Game One you felt you could be better in Game Two after your performance tonight. I got to ask you again, how do you feel? Well, I feel pretty good today, and I, I know my body. I knew after an eight-day layoff in Monday's game that it was going to be a little rough on my body, but uh, I knew with the recovery time, the one-day recovery time, and me putting in the work with my body over the last 24 or 48 hours, I was going to feel a lot better tonight. And you know, pay dividends for our team. Well, you passed Kareem on the NBA's all-time playoff scoring list. What about this Toronto defense has allowed you to capitalize offensively? Uh, I'm just playing in my zone, playing in my comfort zone. I, you know, I, I know what they want to take away. I know what I want to try to get to with our team. And, um, you know, my teammates did a great job of feeding me. And uh, I just, I'm the one that got to knock down the shots. And uh, so I just trust in my ability. And uh, I was lucky to, to make a couple plays to help us get this win. With such dominant wins in these first two games, how do you go up to Toronto and avoid complacency? Uh, we're not a complacent team. Uh, we understand that they're, their, their home court is very dangerous. And we found out that last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, we had a 2-0 lead and we dropped two in a row on their floor. So we have to learn from that experience and get better going into this year. So if we play like we played in the first two games with the sense of urgency defensively and the ball moving offensively, then uh, we're going to give ourselves a good chance to win game three. All right. Congrats, LeBron. All right. Thank you. Guys.